Welcome to Take a Moment. I'm Mari Yamaguchi. And I'm Nathan Bennett. Hey, Mari, I have a question for you. Yeah, go for it. I know that if I were to ask you, what was a terrible customer experience that you've had recently? You could probably tell me a story, probably two or three. I know we all have stories about terrible customer experiences at the ready, ready to regale our friends and family with. For sure. Let me ask you a different question though. Where is a place that you can rely on to have an incredible customer experience consistently? That would have to be a car dealership. I know it's very odd. A car dealership. Not the first thing that probably people would say. Okay. But this particular car dealership is an experience that, like you said, it's consistent and it's reliable. And for me, because of the experience that I have every single time I go there, not that I go there that often, mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I'm buying cars every other every, week. Every, every two months you're getting <laughs> yes, a new car. Yes. I understand. This, this podcast <laughs> is really working out well for you. It is. Gangbusters here. Gangbusters. <laughs> but they've really built over time a relationship. So for me, I'm a loyal lifetime customer. If I have to get a new vehicle, I know I can go there. And because of the service and the experience that I have, I feel confident in actually advocating for them and recommending my friends to go there. And I think that's one of those things that brands really search for. It's not just that one person, but that one person being able to really word of mouth spread the goodness of what they do to their yeah. friends. And that's spreading because, the love. Yeah, spreading the love. And that's because they make it easy for me every single time, even for like the most mundane thing, like getting my car serviced for an oil change. And when I really need them, when I've had a car crash or something and I got to get a new car, they treat me with empathy and they know and understand me. So those are kind of the small recipe pieces that really go into building a great relationship with your customer. And I think today's guest literally wrote the book on it. He did. Our guest is Artie Kasaboom. Artie is one of the most talented and brilliant people we've had the privilege of talking to on our show, which really says a lot. Uh, As Mari said, he did write the book on customer experience. His book is entitled Enable Better Service. Artie Kasaboom, our guest today, is the Senior Director of Global Member Services Technology Analytics and Product at Textile. Now, Textile is one of those companies that, it's one of those large companies that may not be on the tip of your tongue, but they are famed for their membership-based digital brands. They're the retail partner of choice for celebrities like Rihanna, Kate Hudson, Kevin Hart, and some of the brands that are powered by Textile, you definitely have heard of. I think of Fabletics, Fab Kids, Shoe Dazzle, many, many, many others. And the innovation that Textile supplies for their customers is bolstered by the philosophy of truly creating wonderful customer experiences. And we're gonna find out what's at the heart of that today through our discussion with Artie. We're gonna have a deep dive into some of the principles that he talks about in his book. And we're also gonna talk about that moment in March of 2020 when Textile had to move its global workforce to a work from home situation and how they were able to do that seamlessly and quickly. What I love that Artie talks about is that what they do is not only about reimagining fashion, but also making communication simple. Sometimes, You think something is simple and then you try to over-engineer it and it becomes way too complicated when all it really was was something really simple. And that's what he does with this formula in his book about how to make 
customer service, enable their employees so that they become loyal lifetime customers. I love it. This was a great conversation. We know you will enjoy it. We know you'll learn a lot from Artie and his book, Enable Better Service. So take a moment with us. literally wrote the book on customer experience. It's called Enable Better Service. It's a fantastic book and we're going to get into it in a little bit. But first, I want to know a little bit more about you. And I'm wondering what ignited this passion for customer experience and making sure that those moments of customer experience are really fulfilling, both for the customer and beneficial for the business as well. Where did that come from? Did you have any of that originate when you were a boat captain on the high seas? I know that you were a captain for quite some time and you were able to kind of delve into this realm of customer experience. And I know that your life is much different now, but I'm wondering if there's something during that boat captaining experience that led you into being passionate about the customer contact center experience. Yeah, I love, I love correlating the two. And, you know, coming from a humble origin of a boat captain out in the deep sea of the Pacific Ocean in Central Coast, California, uh, out of a small little town called Avila Beach, which is next to Diablo Nuclear Power Plant, which is the only Central Coast power plant, nuclear power plant. So uh, kind of interesting taking charter boats out there and people asking all those unique and strange questions. And this is where the customer service kicks in. Because the first thing you do when you board a boat and you're, you're going fishing on these large cattle boats with 60 plus people is you want to get to know the crew, you want to know what type of bait to use, should I, you know, drop down really, really low and then come up 10 feet from the bottom of the the sea floor to catch the fish, all these types of questions. And of course, being next to a Diablo nuclear power plant, the first question they asked was, is the fish, you know, safe to eat? Of course it is. We're, you know, five miles away from the, the power plant. So extremely, extremely safe. And then the second question is, okay, if it's safe, that's great. But are they going to be bigger fish because of the radiation? And I'm like, no, no, that's not. So supporting people on a boat, especially with unique, strange questions like that, that's kind of the origin story of where it came from. And remember, on the we're in the Pacific Ocean. So we're talking seven to eight foot swells every single day. Half the people on the boat, we call them white knucklers, which means they have their hands so tightly gripped to the edge of the boat that their knuckles are turning white. They're trying to look out to the horizon and make sure that everything's great. And at the same time, trying to be the best captain, customer experience you possibly can while someone's white in the face, of course, paying hundreds of dollars to be there just to to not have a great time and then getting off the boat and making sure that they, they feel safe getting off the boat. So... Yeah, customer service kind of ingrained into my genetics at that point. And that was about 20 years ago. And then as I transitioned into the contact center space, my humble beginnings were with a company called MindBody Online. And I was one of five different customer service reps. And we would take phone calls every single day, 40 hours a week, roughly about 20 to 30 phone calls a day, really hard technical questions. And starting there is probably where I learned the most. I learned more in like a week of just taking 25 calls a day than you know I've learned since. We like to say at MindBody, if you work there for a year, is equivalent to a college graduate. You know, four years of school jam-packed into one year. So that's where I got my chops, and that was about 14 years ago. 
Very cool. White knuckling. I get it. <laughs> My husband loves to go deep sea fishing. Me, not so much. I'm, I'm the white knuckler trying to look for the horizon to <laughs> just survive. So tell us a little bit about why the book. We get why you're passionate about customer service and delivering the best experience. What led you to say, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this. Yeah. And to piggyback off of the previous story about mind body and starting in the humble beginnings of answering calls back to back and back and back. I really tried to figure out how can I make this more efficient? How can I make my job easier, not only for myself, but also for my peers? And as we scaled and and grew from a humble five people taking phone calls, writing voicemail and callback numbers on a post-it note and putting it on a wall, you know, the humble beginnings before we had the ability to, to leverage technology to help us we were trying to figure out how can we better supply support to our customers. And we had lots of ideas, very shoestring, small group of people, ragtag group of people, very intelligent people. We're very, we were tech support. So we knew technology. We knew that we could leverage tools like you know, Zendesk or Salesforce or CRM or, or some sort of conglomerate of tools together to help create a better experience for our customers But as we grew to 200 team members, up to 400, up to 1,000 team members, we realized that our efficiency wasn't going down. We weren't able to do more for our customers and do it at at a faster pace. The calls still took, you know, eight minutes to 15 minutes. The emails were still piling up. We were still backlogged. So we decided to look into technology, do some integrations. And as a result of that, we got invited to a lot of different conferences and we became speakers to educate other people who are having the same problems in our space. And that's kind of where it all began, was getting the recognition from our peers, people asking us questions. How did you solve this problem? What do you do in this situation? How'd you go from 20 people to 800 people in a year and a half? How are you preparing to go public, preparing MindBody to go public at that time? So how do you have these rich KPIs and metrics? What do you track? What's most important? And all of those questions were great, especially one-off. But when you have rooms full of 100 people or 1,000 people who want those answers and rightfully are listening to you to try to get those specific answers for them, that's when I decided you know, all this information that I'm regurgitating every single month in these webinars and on stage, why don't I just put them down in a book? Why don't I cut the cheese and put it all into a book and let people read it whenever they want? Artie, one of my favorite concepts in the book that you cover is the service onion. And I wonder if you could tell our listeners what the service onion is, and can we peel that service onion back a little bit? Oh, I love this terminology. It is something that kind of came to me. It's it's like the shower thoughts. Whenever you're in the shower and you have time to think, you have those thoughts and you're like, oh yeah, okay. I By the way, that Artie, that's going to be a new podcast. Shower <laughs> thoughts with Artie Kossipo. Shower thoughts. Yeah, with Artie Kossipo. I love it. We'll produce it um, for you. And, and you know, it's always the worst place to have a thought because you don't have anything to write it down. You don't have a pen and paper. You don't have a whiteboard. You don't have like a phone to jot you mean a note you don't, down. You don't, you don't keep post-it notes in your shower on the wall? You don't have one? That's odd. I, I, yeah, I try. <laughs> I try not to. It's that, uh, that try to keep work and uh, personal life separate. Gotcha. Good call. Yeah, so shower thoughts. So it's that time where you're kind of in the shower thinking about things and just kind of popped in my head and I said, you know what, how do I articulate how there are different layers of support and customer experience. There are different ways to tackle how to support your customers. And 
you know, the, the idea of chopping an onion and looking at the layers, that's, that's not unique. I, I didn't come up with that. And, you know, I, even in my, the first chapter of my book, I think it's probably like page four, page five, I quote Shrek. I quote, you know, Donkey and Shrek talking, which speaks to how whimsical my book is. It's very lighthearted. You know, it can be very technical and meaty, but at the same time, I try to take you out of that mindset. But yeah, the, the way that I describe the service onion is if you were to cut service, if service was a thing, a product, it would be much like an onion. And you were, if you were to cut it and look at the different layers, there would be different layers that you could tackle at different times. And there would be different ROI and, and different use cases and different experiences based off of those layers. So the outer piece of the layer is really the self-service help suites, community forums, in-product support, where people don't want to talk to a live agent. They don't really want to talk to an automation. They just want to self-serve, figure out their problem on their own. And then that second layer is really the self-service automation layer. So maybe they still don't want to talk to a real human. They don't really want to figure it out on their own. They kind of want to engage with your company in one way or another from a customer experience standpoint. So they may use a chat experience and get a chat bot. They may use your phone number and get a voice experience or a self-service IVR tool to update billing information, for example. And then the bottom layer or at the core is really where the traditional channels live. So you've got your phone support, your email, chat, maybe even social, if you could call that traditional SMS. And these are live interactions one-on-one with your customers and your agents. And of course, that core level can be extremely costly, but it could also produce the best experiences. So allowing customers to go through each layer of the onion and choose where they want to enter into the customer experience, whether that's self-service, using a bot, or talking to a live agent, is really what the service onion is all about. So you've mentioned machine learning, and then you just kind of mentioned bots as well. As we're looking at getting service and experience to our customers at scale, what are you seeing as trends, especially in your field in retail, of how to leverage AI and machine learning a little bit more? Is it one of those things as you're looking at the onion, right? Like, <laughs> are, are you seeing it more at the core or are you seeing it more at, at the outer edges? Kind of give us a little idea of how AI and machine learning is kind of playing into those. So AI and machine learning really has multiple different facets. So you've got the customer surface facet, you've got customer facing support in AI, which can be in the form of bots. It can be in the form of things that the customer may not even know is happening. So if they're engaging with your e-commerce website and they're trying to buy something, or they're maybe using your website to navigate through some sort of form or do some sort of process, there may be AI and machine learning in the background aiding them, you know, getting them to the right place, auto-filling some of those form fields for them. And uh, with regards to customer service and customer experience, What I've found is customers like to use AI if, and sometimes only if, um, but not exclusive, if it's the channel that they prefer. If they don't prefer it, then it could be extremely frustrating. So a great example of this is you would probably not want to have a lot of AI and machine learning to an aging demographic that can be easily frustrated. So A great example would be, you know, like an elderly diaper company most likely would not be the best demographic. Um, And I've seen that a couple of times throughout my career, just trying to support all of my peers. How do I uh, support them to 
convert their members to using AI and people over a certain age just don't like it. They'd rather talk to a live agent. That isn't true for everybody, but just interesting to, to think about it. So think about your demographic, think about the segmentation that you're trying to support. And then also think about the experience that you're trying to produce. So there's something that's really interesting called the chatbot or IVR prison. And you have to get people out of that prison. So what that means is even if someone starts in a chatbot, you can't force them to be contained. If they want to talk to a live agent, try to get them out of that prison to a live agent so that they don't get frustrated. So it's, it's all about experience, but also target demographics. Artie, how do you start and maintain a healthy strategy for turning your contact center, which a lot of businesses, you talk about this in the book, a lot of businesses think of their contact center as a cost center. So how do we get away from that mindset and think about turning our contact center into a revenue generating machine? I love this topic. There's lots of different ways to do this. I think the biggest thing is, and it's usually customer service departments that, that get hit the hardest. It's just the cost of delivery. We, we have to have it there. We're not acquiring new people. We're not increasing revenue by having them here. We, we just have to throw money at it. It's just the cost of doing business. So first, you have to do it at the executive level. You have to do it internally. You have to, we like to call it the shiny box model. You have to polish the box. You know, if the box is the idea of your support center, contact center is a rough box with, you know, jagged edges. You're going to get splinters if you handle it. What you need to do is all these little things internally to show your worth and your value to the organization. Some big ways to do it, some e easy big ways to do it, create MPS surveys, customer satisfaction scores, CSAT scores. That really proves the worth behind your contact center, showing that you're creating an experience that is unique and different than your competitors and hopefully unique in the good way and not unique in the bad way. And also you're potentially adding to the lifetime value, the LTV of your customer base. So maybe you're selling something like a membership. If you increase the lifetime value of that membership, you may get annual or monthly returns on that member. Usually that's not associated directly with how well the customer service team did. Usually it's done indirectly, but that's how I would recommend a contact center or a customer service or customer experience or customer journey mapping. Team members should articulate how a contact center is more than just cost of delivery. The other ways you can do it is you can do upselling, cross-selling, which can only work in certain environments. So I don't recommend it for all businesses and all verticals, but if you have the ability to upsell and cross-sell, you can actually start to add to the top line by also reducing bottom line costs for additional sales reps and account executives on other teams. So you're actually helping out other teams by upselling and cross-selling, having that conversation while the customer is either contacting you directly or you're outbound dialing them for some sort of support. A great example of this, and this is before the advent of ATMs, is bank tellers. We used to have a ton of bank tellers out there. They would be helping people with simple transactions, you know, breaking $100 bills. I need to withdraw $300 from my account. When we invented ATMs, there was no need for those transactional type conversations with bank tellers. You know, self-service, this is the service done, and this is in a very manual world, but self-service became, if I wanted to do something transactional, nice and easy, I would just go to an ATM machine. I don't have to wait for the bank to be open. I wouldn't have to talk to a single person or a bank teller. 
But then as ATMs became more widely used and popularized, bank tellers kind of changed their role. So now when you go to a bank and you're doing something transactionally, they're going to try to upsell and cross-sell you on maybe re refinancing your house or opening up a new savings account because your savings account isn't great, doesn't have a, a good return on investment. Or maybe you have an account that's been sitting there for too long. They're going to advise you, close that account. You have three of them with us. You only need one or two or minimum thresholds so that you don't get charged annually on those bank accounts. So just think about your service center and your, your customer service in a different way. And if you're starting to automate, definitely automate, but think about how you could leverage the workforce you have today to give more to your business. Learning so much about the evolution of service and experience with you. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be back more with Artie Kosovoom after this short commercial break. Hello again, Josh Reed here, producer of Take a Moment. And within our second episode of season three, we had the pleasure of talking to Artie Kasaboom. Now, during our conversation with Artie, he talked about how he's enabled his employees to better customer experience with ideas like AI and machine learning, being able to completely transition from working in an office to working at home with cloud solutions. Now, you're probably asking yourself, how can I incorporate those into our contact center? Well, if you check out those resources below on Genesis.com, you'll learn about how to incorporate AI in your contact center and what is machine learning. I also suggest you take a look at previous episodes of the show. We've had the pleasure of talking to many Genesis customers about their contact centers and what they're doing to set the bar for excellent customer experience. I also want to remind you to be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and stay tuned for the next episode of Take a Moment. And we're back with Artie talking about customer service and customer experience, just everything that goes on around it. One of the things that I learned, uh, Fabletics, which happens to be one of my favorite workout athleisure brands, is powered behind the scenes by Textile. Not a lot of people know that some of their favorite brands are powered by awesome companies like Textile. So we've seen a lot of brands like Fabletics really launching more in a digital space rather than your traditional brick and mortar. How has that concept really been accelerated by COVID and how does textile come alongside to really help these companies either launch digitally or as they go through something like this pandemic? Yeah, textile is a conglomerate of five different brands and we really take the name serious. So tech and style, think of it as you're in high school and you have a fashion designer who's really interested in fashion, wants to go down that path for her career or his career. And you have this really nerdy, geeky guy who has no social awareness and just likes to sit in a room and code and wants to be a developer and wants nothing to do with fashion, just wants to design technology. Put those two people in a room, give them some funding and some resources behind them, and that is essentially textile. You've got the fashion side, the social side, the celebrity presence side. Uh, so we partner with large celebrities like 
Kate Hudson, Rihanna, Kelly Rowland, Kevin Hart for Fabletics Men. The list goes on and on and on. And that is our marketing and our PR. That is the, you know, popular person in high school walking around with the coolest backpack or clothes or whatever that is. And then you've got them being supported on the business side with a army of engineers, technical engineers, computer science majors who have graduated and and made this a career to make sure that there is a product supply line, there is customer service support, there is, you know, uptime that the product itself is being manufactured in a way that it should be, so supply chain as well. So that's kind of where we came from. Today, we've got five different lines, and within those five different lines, I would say our biggest one is probably Fabletics. Although we did start with Just Fab and Shoe Dazzle as kind of our origin story, and, and we do have a kids line called Fab Kids, and we launched Savage X Fenty, which is a lingerie brand. To be able to get the coolest, hottest things, you have to be a member. A monthly member, but it's inclusive in the sense that we have all sorts of different sizes that other competitors don't have, and also skin tone colors that you know range from the whitest of white to the darkest of dark, which is something really unique in our space. So yeah, to talk a little bit more about e-commerce and that versus the brick and mortar. So Fabletics, for example, does have over 25 stores, brick and mortar stores across the U.S. And what we decided to do was use those stores as marketing fronts for our online e-commerce websites. So people can go in, of course, traditional, it's like in a, a shopping mall. You could try on some clothes. You can pick out things to purchase within store. But when you get to that cash register, or even when you're in the fitting room with the iPads that are in the fitting room, what you can do is say, you know what? I love this one. I love the one I tried on. I love the color. I love everything. Just ship it to my house. Like I don't want to have to carry it around the shopping mall. I'm going to go to the food court. It's going to get food on it. I don't want to have to have 10 different bags. Just ship it to my house. And you know that will place the online order for them so they don't have to go through the inconvenience of physically have to carry that around or you know bust out the credit card and at the checkout area to actually pay for it. They don't even need cash on hand. They just go in the fitting room and and choose their account that they have with us and have it delivered straight to their house. So we're trying to reimagine fashion, trying to reimagine the way that people shop and interact with brands. And we know that it all is tech forward and it's all e-commerce based. Even though we live in the physical world, we do have to have some physicality to it with these stores. But being able to put it in the cloud and allow people to do it from anywhere, their phone, a shopping mall, fitting room, or while they're at work, their work computer, they could uh, shop whenever they want, when they're on break, of course. Artie, I know you have at Textile a global workforce. You have agents and employees all over the globe, all over the map. And with the pandemic, you had to switch and shift all of those employees to work from home. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how that was accomplished, because it's a pretty remarkable feat. Absolutely. And shifting thousands of people to work from home, it's a technology problem to solve, it's a process problem to solve, and it's a people problem to solve. So lots of different things we were trying to solve in a very, very short time frame, and I, we're not unique in this. Lots of businesses and companies had to do the same or are still going through the process, you know, days, weeks, months after the initial pandemic hit in certain areas and regions. Our story is a little unique, and I'll give you a little color of where I was during the time. I was actually in Hawaii getting married on March 11th, the day after 
my wedding, I got a, a nice email. It was very, very worded politely of, oh no, we need to bring all of the agents to at-home work. And of course, the first thing I thought of was, thank God we have the technology infrastructure in the cloud already. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. And then that removed one of the three Ps, you know, the product side of the house. Now it was all about process and people. How do we make sure that the people are on board, that they're safe, they feel like they're part of an organization, they have the right tools that they have, they need access to it. For some of the people, we had to physically send them MiFi's, which are like little phone data plans that they could create hotspots because they didn't have Wi-Fi at their homes. And that was fine. It's not like we didn't have that technology-wise. It was just training a thousand people how to create a hotspot. And, you know, maybe half of them didn't understand how to do it right off the bat. It's something extremely foreign to them. They're not that technical. And then on the people side, it's people not seeing each other in the office. So you lose a lot of that social connection to not only your coworkers, but the brand itself. You know, if you don't see your coworkers on a regular basis, you start to forget the mission and the vision behind the business that, that you're supporting, which, you know, for us, it's, it's textile, fabletics, just fab and things like that. So making sure that team members still felt a sense of community while they're isolated and maybe working at their home office or at their dining room table with kids screaming in their ear and dogs barking is really tough. So I would say it was really hard for us, but it was, it was actually a lot easier than we had thought. It took us about 24 hours to move everyone to work from home. Obviously for safety reasons, we wanted to make sure that we did it in the shortest amount of time possible. And then once we got them there, it was figuring out what they needed. So it was a lot of listening, understanding, compassion, and answering really hard questions like, the first thing people thought, am I going to be let go? Like answering that question is hard, especially when you don't know the answer yourself as a supervisor, manager, director, or, or whatever that level is. So getting into a room and, and talking to people and understanding what their problems were in that migration to work from home, and then assuring them that leadership has your back and no, we're not going to let you go. We may have to figure out how to make it work financially and budget wise, but other than that, you should just go about your day-to-day without any disruption. So yeah, extremely hard to tackle. I don't think we, we've been in this for a couple months now. I don't think we've mastered it. I think we've smoothed it over enough so that there's not a lot of frustration, but that first 24 hours was probably the hardest. Yeah, for sure. I think we're all kind of learning as we're going together and just kind of trying to learn from each other and from best practices shared among industries and peers. Wanting to go back to something that you said that textile is reimagining fashion. And earlier you talked about how transactional things have been reimagined as well. The ATM as an evolution of the bank tellers and now how their role has changed. Seeing more that this generation, Gen Z and the late millennials, they seem to have this conditioned sense of instant gratification, right? Like if I text message somebody, they better respond to me right away. Or I saw that on Snapchat, Insta, whatever social media, I got to have it. How does that behavior affect the type of service experience you and your team have to design for or anticipate? So I guess my question is, has communication really changed, evolved? And if so, what does that look like? So when you think about communication, you have to think about how similar it is to kind of the retail experience that I said earlier. 
someone 10 years ago, if they wanted something, they had to go to a, a shop. They had to go to a mall. They had to buy it. There was very few online e-commerce websites to be able to buy something and have it delivered to your house. Now that we have that Amazon Prime approach of I could get it shipped to my house tomorrow and like at a touch of a button, I don't even have... There's like only two clicks away from it showing up to your house the next day. I don't have to fill out my billing. I don't have to put a shipping address. It's all stored. It's all there. It's click to satisfaction. And we've mastered that on the e-commerce side as a society. I think we're on the cusp of trying to master that with regards to communication. And we're getting better at it, but most support teams and support centers still force you to talk to a real person, still force you down email channel or path that isn't instant. And there's all of these other ways that customers and consumers are trying to engage with your business. SMS, MMS, you've got Apple Business Chat, you've got all of the at-home Amazon and Google devices, you've got social media. So yeah, the answer is we need to evolve. We need to support our customers and our consumers in the way that is easiest for them, fastest for them, most convenient for them. And we need to do it with automation. It's really hard to be able to support 10 different channels. Let's say WhatsApp as an example, plus Apple Business Chat, maybe some Alexa at home device voice, and then you got phone, email, chat, MMS, And then you got maybe web chat and your in-product app support chat too. So you're talking about an agent who literally is swivel chairing between 10 different channels trying to figure out how do I support my customers. We have to find a way to do it that makes it easier for agents, that makes it easier for their supervisors to do quality monitoring and quality support. Yeah, we have to find a way to measure success with KPIs across all those channels and also automate as much as possible. Allow people to self-serve across those channels as if they were going, you know, via chat the same way that they would be able to do it via Facebook Messenger. Let me tell you a little story about myself. I have loved coffee and been a coffee snob for most of my adult life. I even, in a completely different life, I worked at Starbucks, I worked my way up, I became a coffee master, I learned everything I could about coffee. I even ran a couple of Starbucks stores at some point as well. And so when I pick a coffee, it's gotta be really, really good. In fact, when I go into a coffee house, that experience has to be really, really good end to end. Otherwise, I don't want to go back and I don't want to give them my business. It strikes me that you have been working in the contact center for much of your life. You were a practitioner. You're a technologist. You even wrote the book on enabling better service. This is a very intimidating person. You are a very intimidating person to sell contact center software and solutions to. I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of insight into What made Genesis stand out from the pack? What was that thing that differentiated Genesis from other competitors? Not so that you can pat us on the back necessarily, but I am interested in when you talk about selecting the right product in your book, you've got to have the right people in place, the right processes in place, and that product and partner is super, super important. And I'm wondering why you landed with Genesis. Well, I'm writing down my notes here, never to try to sell Nate any coffee ever. That is Um, correct. I will be harsh, (laughs) sir. I will be harsh. 
It's definitely in my notes. Um, I'm going to go with your analogy because I love, I love the barista coffee analogy because so much, it, like, kind of like the Italians say, so much is resolved around the dinner table. So much is done around coffee and so much can be completed when you just start your day off right with the right coffee and the right experience getting your coffee. And also so much can go wrong if you just go into, you know, let's say I'll say a Starbucks or a you know, coffee bean and you have a horrible experience, that could just ruin the rest of your day. But yeah, to, to your example, the way that I look at purchasing a product, or I like to say partnering with a partner, I know there's a cost associated with it and a service that I get returned on that cost, much like buying a coffee, you have to pay for the coffee and you get some sort of result back, some sort of product, physical product, or, or maybe it's a, a service that you're paying for. A lot of it is trying to get away from the supplier or the vendor experience and more into the partner experience. So back to your example, if you have ever had a barista that you absolutely loved and you would go back to that same exact place every single morning at you know 6.15 because you know that your favorite barista was there and they know how to make your, I don't even know, like coffee, mocha, latte, grande, insert more words here the way that you like it with, you know, a little bit of extra foam and a pump of caramel on top, that is a partner. That barista has hundreds, thousands of people who order coffee from them every single day. They took the time to remember your preference and partner with you to make you smile every single day, which is making you a return customer. Same thing with technology. And that's why we chose Genesis was we wanted a partner in this. We didn't want a tool that can help fix, solve the world and everything. But then, you know, three days after implementation, we never heard from them. And we had to open cases and tickets and had to like knock on the door again to say, hey, open up the coffee shop. <laughs> I want my coffee. No, we wanted to, you know, come over to the, to the Starbucks when it was after hours, the barista sees me through the window and opens the door and says, hey, I'll make a coffee for you. And that's what we got with Genesis. And that's what we continue to have with Genesis. And that's really the, the meat behind it. And you can't put a price on that. It just doesn't exist. You can't compare feature sets, like all the feature sets there in the cloud. There's lots of people who have that, you know, those capabilities. One may be a little bit better than the other, but none of that outweighs value-wise the partnership that you get from someone who can cater to you in the sea of all other customers that they have single you out in a very positive way and make you feel like you're the only person in that in that coffee shop. Artie, I love that and we're almost out of time, but before we go, we love to play a little game with our guests called Take Five, Fast Five. It's where Mari and I throw a lot of questions at you real fast and just give us your impulsive, instinctual response to whatever question we may ask. Remember, this is live. I'm just kidding, it's not live. So you can say whatever you want, and if it's messed up, we'll just edit it out later. Okay, This, this isn't smarter than the fifth grader type questions, right? Because it's, uh, it, it's <laughs> just to make you look foolish. That's all we've done is Sounds we've good. created these questions just to do that. Um, Mari, you want to start us off? Sure thing. Best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? I'm going to have to say shoes. The more comfortable the shoes, the better. So if you have to pay 100 bucks, pay it. Tiger King or Lion King? Tiger King, 100%, just because of the stripes. If you were a ghost, who or where would you haunt? If I'm going to choose the future, 
I'm always forward thinking, so I would probably haunt myself later uh, in life just to get back myself because I probably did some bad stuff. If you could haunt yourself, this I'm just this is a this is a new question. <laughs> if you could haunt yourself, what would you do to really scare yourself? Like, what would you do to really annoy yourself or or terrify yourself in the middle of the night? I mean, I speak in public a lot, so make myself trip over a, a wire so that I you know get a bloody nose on stage in front of two thousand people. Yeah, that that would be good. It's a nightmare scenario. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles, hundred percent. Because all you need is love. All you need is love. That is the correct answer. Donuts or chips for the rest of your life? I'm going to say chips only because the the flavors that are on chips now, they probably are going to make a donut flavored chip and I'll get the best of both worlds. That is horrifying. <laughs> and our last question is, I know you were a big classic gamer back in the day, so this might hit you close to home. Pac-Man or Super Mario Brothers? Super Mario Brothers. Just because wow. there was like cheat easter eggs and i love cheat easter eggs i love finding those things out all right well you heard it here first Artie casa boom from textile enable better services the book uh you can get it on amazon or wherever fine books are sold Artie, i know that you're actually working on another book that we can look forward to about ai so maybe you can come back and join us when that book is out we'd love to have you so thank you very much Artie, for taking a moment with us thank you guys so much 